let's let's not recap anything. Let's leave everything that happened before this as a complete mystery. And um, with that, I cryptically titled this evening's discussion, How to Handle a Big Catch. And um, I'll explain that more in a moment. But I, I wanted to read, have a reading. I read a poem on the first night. And this is a little excerpt from somebody's journal. I don't even know who wrote this, but I really liked it. And I highlighted it and underlined a bunch of stuff because somebody sent it to me and I, I reference it a lot. So I just wanted to read this to you. It's called... Life itself is grace. Listen to your life. All moments are key moments. I discovered that if you really keep your eye peeled to it and your ears open, if you really pay attention to it, even such a limited and limiting life as the one I was living on Rupert Mountain opened up onto extraordinary vistas, taking your children to school and kissing your wife goodbye eating lunch with a friend, trying to do a decent day's work, hearing the rain patter against the window. There is no event so commonplace but that God is present within it, always hittingly, always leaving you room to recognize him or not to recognize him, but all the more fascinatingly because of that, all the more compellingly and hauntingly if I were called upon to state in a few words the essence of everything I was trying to say, both as a novelist and as a preacher, it would be something like this. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is, in the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it, because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. We talked a lot earlier today about reminders, like some of the prayer exercises that we did. People would talk about how it was just a good reminder to them. And, you know, I've, I've repeatedly said several times throughout the weekend that, that phrase, to God, you are here now in this. Um, but this says it in a different way, looking at the mystery of life and the hiddenness of God and everything and that common thread that he's weaving in and out of, of all things. All moments are important. Nothing is in, insignificant. And life itself is grace. So all these prayer exercises are to tie us into life in Christ. Not necessarily a, a, a charismatic gift or uh, an experience or a moment of something, but to recognize that the entirety of our life is a charismatic gift. It is fundamentally a powerful Holy Spirit-driven experience. So how do we handle a big catch? So for when you were some guy, I don't know. I don't know. We can look it up on at the our local library or the internet. Um, so, in some of the prayer exercises that we kind of dug into throughout this weekend, I, I would reference a lot the idea that um, sometimes things start to come up. Remember, we talk about the the fountain of living water within you, 
And when we quit compressing more muck into the living water fountain, it's going to clean itself out. We don't have to get in there and dig it out. We just let the Holy Spirit within clean us out by stop compounding more dirt on top of our life. Um, But that brings stuff up. And we do have to do something about that. We have to participate in God's work of cleaning us out by actively making ourselves more available to it or walking alongside other people who are gifted and leading people through healing or different things like that. So it would be entirely far too irresponsible for me to introduce all these prayer exercises and say, hey, some pain might come up and then not talk about what do we do with that big catch. Um, Because... A big catch implies that it's a good thing, and I do believe that it is a good thing for that pain to come out, because we all have pain. We all are broken. Like the story I told Tim earlier today, a friend of mine said, We're, we all have baggage. Nobody comes to Christ, nobody comes to his church without baggage, and the purpose of the body is to help us carry that baggage. So I said it was cryptic, and I said it was misleading because, like I said, I think I already said this. We don't really do anything. We just make ourselves more available. And one of the primary ways to do that is to just take it right back to prayer. So we talked about centering prayer, the quiet 20-minute thing that we did, and the holy reading with the different moments of where did Scripture stick out to you and say something to you. And other. what else did we do? We did all kinds of stuff. The Jesus prayer... Um, sometimes being focused on the name of Christ repetitively and and really digging into that might bring up some anxious feelings of of different things. So take it back to prayer. Either continue on the prayer that you're already doing or break out of it and just speak to your Father. If you're sitting in the silence and you find yourself feeling very compressed or all of a sudden feeling very anxious or realizing something this, this happened to me, so it could happen to anybody. Like realizing something that happened to you when you were like five or six years old all of a sudden comes up out of nowhere because you're just trying to sit in silence in your father's presence. Well, don't just drop it and run away. Take it to him. God, here it is. I offer it up to you. What do we do with this? Speak to me. Tell me something. Help me through this. And just talk with him. Natural conversational prayer, the stuff that we're probably most used to is let all of these contemplative exercises fuel our active speaking prayer life. Remember, these are the other side of the conversation and in, in contemplation where we're just listening and quieting ourselves before God. And then we let that fuel our active relational side of things. Utilize the tools that, that you've been given, the different prayer forms and different things like that. But always remember, just be. We're human beings. We're not human doings. And honestly, just pragmatically, practically, does this mean the same thing? If it's trauma-related, find a counselor. Talk to somebody. God will bring these things up and work in tandem with trained professionals to help you in your healing process. Because ultimately, I don't know how you view it, but I view our salvation as just one long healing journey. And we have to work through all the things that have broken us along the way. 
And there's people that God has gifted with intense empathy and wisdom and knowledge to know how to help walk through that with people. And I'm not saying that this is something that happens at any specific church, but the church in general, I think, has shied away from counseling for some reason. And I've heard some people say things like, you don't need a counselor, you just need to sit down with your Bible. Or you just need to go into your room and pray about it. And like, that's not a bad thing to do. But other image bearers have skill sets in helping people walk through this. Or go to trusted people in your church and let them walk through it. Or find a spiritual director. A lot of people don't know what spiritual direction is. Anybody familiar with spiritual direction or have heard of it? And um, I, that has been the most beneficial thing in my life. Um, you know, I started my spiritual walk and started di- diving into some of these things and started realizing I had some real gunk I had to work through. So the first thing I did was I, I did go to a counselor and I started working through some, you know, trauma processing stuff and it really wasn't helping me at all. Because um, the, the particular counsel, counselor wanted to do everything separate from God. And I thought, I just can't keep these two worlds separate. I can't keep my brain and my spirit separate and try to heal one thing with the, out, the other not being a part of it. And then I discovered this ancient vocation within the church, which was spiritual director or spiritual father or spiritual mother. Um, in the Russian tradition, they call them starets these holy elders that, that people would seek out to, to gain their wisdom and their prayers and their um, intense, dev- like these people that were intensely devoted to God and they would hold this sacred space of, of co-listening to the Holy Spirit with you on your behalf and asking really good questions. I'm not great at describing spiritual direction, but um, I do have a video from my spiritual director. My spiritual director, his name's Father Boniface, um, he's a Benedictine monk, and he, this is he's amazing at describing it. So I, I'd like to show you that just to have him explain it. And his beard is awesome. The focus of the meeting is on the interior, is on the relationship of the directee with God. And so that's always what we want to aim toward. But that takes place in the interior. And so we're going interior, and the, the directee begins to manifest experiences, relationships, dimensions of prayer. And a good director is primarily listening for much of the session is listening. And the kinds of questions and feedback are are to help the directee go deeper. Maybe the directee presents a situation. A good director might say, well, and what what was your interpretation of that? What was the meaning that you found there? What were the feelings that you had when that was unfolding? And where was God in that? And how can we bring this then to God? And so a director teasing out uh, a lot of the interior experience, things that the directee may have processed beforehand, but many things that are revealed in the session. So the sweet words that a director loves to hear is, I've never shared this with anyone. And a good director hears that on a, on a regular basis from, from different directees, and it develops that kind of safety that really the deepest interior is opened up. And then the director is in a position to do a little bit of communication, to apply the gospel, to help a directee take these insight, in experiences into prayer, uh, ways to receive the Father's love, also by the director's own manifestation of love, his gaze, his affirmation, his encouragement. And, and beautiful things happen when the, when the directee's interior life is brought forward in that way. 
that's spiritual direction. And I got to tell you, one time I said to him, Father Boniface, I've never told anybody this before. And he smiled in this kind of like, hmm sort of way. And then I saw this video and realized, oh, that's when he knew I'm doing an okay job. But, um, so spiritual direction is invaluable just to have somebody walk through that with you um, and be a real spiritual friend. And like shameless plug, this is a big part of, of what I do. So if anybody wants to talk more about that, Tim can put you in contact with me. Um, I love, very passionate about spiritual direction as a ministry. And um, that's what my training is in, is in spiritual direction. Or you can go on a website called SDI World. I don't know if it's org or gov. It's not gov. It's either org or com. And um, you can search like near you for spiritual directors. But there's all kinds of weird stuff on that website. So you have to really filter through. I'm looking for a Christian uh, who's not looking to work with some of these wild and crazy things that are on there. So just a disclaimer, I guess. But if you want to find a spiritual director of your own, that's a great place to do it. Um, And a big part of sorting through this big catch, so to speak, there's some specific language around that. So a lot of these prayer exercises that we talked about were developed by a Spanish monk, Ignatius of Loyola, and um, he was big on these two words, consolation and desolation, and that being a, a method of discerning what you're hearing in your prayer life and and on how to sort through that and how to discern who's speaking to you. Um, so I'm going to read some stuff off of, off of his, his description of consolation and desolation. Good and evil spirits, consolation and desolation. Interior movements are caused by good spirits and evil spirits. Our hearts are divided between good and evil impulses. To call these spirits simply just recognizes the spiritual dimension of our inner struggle. And spiritual consolation is this. It is an experience of God's love that inspires us to praise, love, and serve God and help others as best as we can. Spiritual consolation encourages and facilitates a deep sense of gratitude for God's faithfulness, mercy, and companionship in our life. In consolation, we feel more alive and more connected to others. For people who are trying to live a life pleasing to God, the good spirit strengthens, encourages, consoles, removes obstacles, and gives peace. So if you hear something in prayer, and it sounds like that stuff, that's consolation. That's a good thing. Spiritual desolation, in contrast, is a heavy experience of the soul in darkness or turmoil. We experience doubt, temptations, and are mired in self-preoccupations. We are restless and anxious and feel cut off from others. Such feelings, in Ignatius's words, are they move one towards lack of faith, leave one without hope and without love. The evil spirit tries to derail them by stirring up anxiety, false sadness, needless confusion, frustration, and obstacles. So the key question as we're sorting through our big catches is, where is this movement coming from and where is it leading me? So we can't just say, if I feel bad, it's desolation. Because that might not necessarily be true. 
or if this feels good, it might not necessarily be consolation. For people who have closed themselves off from God's grace, the good spirit will disturb or shake you up. You might feel remorse or discontentment. It's the, pur- the purpose is to make you unhappy with a negative way of life. On the other hand, the spirit of desolation might want to move people to continue in confusion or darkness. So it might make you feel complacent or content or satisfied with your distractions and worldly pleasures. So discernment of spirits is a challenging task, and that could be like a whole conference on itself, is just the discernment of spirits. And it requires maturity, inner silence, which is what all of our prayer exercises have been about, and an ability to reflect critically on your own interior life. And it takes practice, much practice. And this is where having a director or a counselor or a pastor or just a dear friend to walk alongside you and help co-discern is super, super important. Um, Because sometimes we can get very confused in our own feelings. Like if we say, you know, I, I don't know, I felt like God was telling me to to maybe end this relationship with a person and I just feel really, really, really sad about it and I just feel so hurt and it just makes me feel so anxious and in turmoil. I just don't think that I can do it because I wouldn't feel that way if, if I was supposed to leave them. And that anxiousness or turmoil might be a spirit of desolation encouraging you to stay in a toxic relationship. So you got to see how careful you have to be with your, your discernment in that. Um, and it always goes back to that I just always, always, I love the the well of water and the muck analogy is all those thoughts of confusion, of turmoil, of contentment, of complacency, all of that stuff is the muck in the well from just keeping up with the busyness of life and keeping up with the constant noise and the constant thought pollution and and noise pollution, and materialism, and all these things. So a healthy detachment from being so busy all the time um, will give us that freedom to help make better discerning decisions. And it will really illuminate us. And again, I think back to Moses coming down off the mountain, having been in the presence of the Lord, and just shining radiantly, because he was so filled and covered with that, that glorious peace, that the glory. Um, I also just wanted to shout out a long list of book suggestions. Um, books can be wonderful tools to help you read more about some of this discernment, read more about some of these prayer things. I'm going to say more things than you need to know, but if you just take a name or two and look them up, you might find some really great stuff. Um, St. Ignatius of Antioch was a very early bishop in the church in Syria and has some incredible writings. Um, Gregory Palamas, St. Gregory Palamas, if anybody's ever heard of him. Um, the Jesus Prayer, he was one of the like ones that really did a lot of work with that as a specific prayer type or exercise. Um, Maximus the Confessor has a book called On the Cosmic Mystery of Christ, which if that title doesn't make you want to read that book, I'm sorry. Um, St. John of Damascus, St. Basil the Great has a book called On the Holy Spirit. So if you want to even learn about some of the, the earliest uh, 
understandings of the Holy Spirit's role in our life when it comes to discernment and hearing and all these different things. That's an incredible book. Um, St. John Chrysostom, his last name actually means the golden mouth, so you can't find anything bad by him. It's a nickname, yeah. John the Golden Mouth. Um, there's a Russian book called The Way of the Pilgrim. Has anybody ever heard of that? It's a story of a, a young man who reads in the scripture where Paul says, pray without ceasing. And he says, I really want to take that seriously. So it's the story of his travels all over the place. And he gets a prayer rope, like I had showed you guys about, and starts meeting with all these people and these oh-so-fortuitous encounters. And, well, I'm trying to pray without ceasing. How do you know the Lord? And then people say, well, this is what I do. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's good. I'm going to take that on. And he starts, like, taking on all these practices and overcomplicating things. And then somebody says, no, just the name of Jesus. And So it's basically our life story is what it is. Um, Richard Foster. Is anybody familiar with Richard Foster? Yeah, his uh, Renovare Institute has great stuff on spiritual formation and direction. Henry Nowen, Dallas Willard, Spirit of the Disciplines, that book is amazing. Um, Mark Thibodeau wrote The Armchair Mystic, which is where that story about the Aunt Sally came from. Thomas Merton, Ignatius of Loyola, Father Alexander Schmemann, um, Father... I'll just let you take a picture of this. Um, I love this. Father Thomas Hopko was an Orthodox priest that lived near, lived near where I lived. He... Um, was like the spiritual director of the monastery by me. And he has this this thing. I sent this to Tim. He can print it and give it to you guys or send it to you. But it's called 55 Maxims of Christian Living. Somebody asked him to boil down his life's work and instruction into bullet points, and he came up with 55 sayings. And um, I want to read a couple of these to you because I think they're conducive to what we're trying to do here. Um, so he says he says this. Be always with Christ and trust God in everything. Pray as you can, not as you think you must. I think that's key to everything that we've been doing here this weekend is I'm giving you these tools or these structures. Don't think that you have to do them. Don't think that you have to do them exactly in the way they've been presented to you. Just pray how you can. If all you can muster up is a, hi God, I love you. That's the most beautiful prayer he could hear at that moment. Have a keepable rule of prayer done by discipline. Commit yourself to something. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning. Then keep up with that. Read a short prayer. Repeat a short prayer when your mind is not occupied. That's where the Jesus prayer comes in, right? Make some, Tim's favorite word, prostrations when you pray. Involve your body. It's an incarnational faith. God took on flesh. Our flesh can have something to do with our prayer life as well. Eat good foods in moderation and fast on fasting days. That's good. Sit in silence for 20 to 30 minutes each day. Reveal all of your thoughts and feelings to a trusted person regularly. He doesn't say anything about sacramental confession. He just says, reveal all of your thoughts and feelings to a trusted person regularly. Right. Read good books a little at a time. That's the key, is a little at a time. I got like 20 books that I bought 
with the intention to read them, and I haven't. So I start blowing through them as quickly as I can just to say that I read them, but they're not taking root in my soul or doing anything about changing me. Here's my favorite one. Be an ordinary person, one of the human race. Live a day, even a part of a day at a time. Do the most difficult and painful things first. I would say that goes for our prayer lives too. If something starts coming up, stick with it. Don't say, we're going to circle back to this God when I'm ready. Just dive in. Do you know what the difference is between buffaloes and cows? (laughs) This isn't a joke. Uh, (laughs) If a storm is coming, a buffalo will run towards the storm because they know that they'll get through it quicker. Cows will run away from the storm and inevitably be too slow to get away from it and get stuck in it for a longer amount of time. So be a buffalo. Be simple, hidden, quiet, and small. I think it's in I think it's in Colossians where Paul says, aspire to live a quiet life. Is that in Colossians? Paul says it in one of them. And that struck me one day as like, oh, how do you live a quiet life? That's another one. Yeah, that's another one that's in a similar heart. Um, Never bring attention to yourself. This is a maxim for living. Flee imagination, fantasy, analysis, and figuring things out. We could take that with a grain of salt, but there's something to it. Does that hurt your heart? (laughs) Don't compare yourself with anyone. Don't try to convince anyone of anything. This sounds like Michael Scott. Anybody like The Office? He goes to see David Wallace, and David Wallace asks him how he was so successful, and he sits back in his seat and he says, David, I've always lived by one thing, and it's this, and I'll tell you what it is. It's never, for any reason, at all, ever, for any reason whatsoever, do anything to anyone for any reason at all, ever, for any reason. (laughs) And then it cuts to a scene, and he goes, sometimes I just start talking, and I don't know where the sentence is going to go. So don't try to convince anyone of anything, ever, for any reason, This is a good one. Be defined and bound by God, not people. Be merciful with yourself and with others. You ready for this one? Have no expectations except to be fiercely tempted to your last breath. Discernment becomes all the more important. So I have these printed out and hung above my desk. I can look at them every single day. and, and It's wisdom to me. But Also, the saints of the church, if you're looking for suggestions of, of people or things to read to get examples of how to get through these things, there's an entire 2,000 plus years of saints that have lived a life in the presence of God and have gone through just about anything we can imagine to have gone through. 
And all you have to do is Google it. If you're going through something in, intensely difficult, um, you know, I don't know, like I, w- I was <sighs> struggling with addiction. You can search saints addiction and like St. Moses the Ethiopian will come up and you can read his life about how he overcame that, how God overcame that in him and how he even still continued to struggle with that even as a monastic and how God was faithful to him all the way through it. Like one of my favorites is St. Seraphim of Sadarov. He was, I talk about Russian stuff a lot, don't I? Sorry, I, I like borscht. Um, St. Seraphim called everybody my joy. He called everybody your godliness. He greeted everybody by saying, Christ is risen, no matter what time of year it was. And his famous saying was, acquire a spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be saved. So, you know, I, I'm very fond of St. Seraphim. I read his life regularly and, and I look at pictures, iconography, stories of his life. And it's, it, it really inf- stokes my love for God when I see what a love for God does in people. And I want to be that. I want to be that so badly. I ask God every day in my prayer. You know, when I was a kid and, and, and somebody would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wish I would have said a saint, you know. And I, I know the whole we're all saints thing, but, you know, like that. Like that it was my title, St. Derek, you know. Um, there's an online ministry, Ancient Faith Ministries. You can find a ton of stuff on this contemplative spirituality on there. Um, their blogs and podcasts. Here's a good one. Read anything by C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien. Read Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia if you want spiritual direction. The power of story is so incredible. Our Bible is the power of story. It is the story of God beginning to end. It's, you know, and when you read stuff like this and you read, you know, Gandalf saying, oh, my dear Frodo, the the only thing we have to do is decide what to do with the time given to us. And, And that, like, kicks you right in the feels and you don't know what to do with that. Like, that's something, though this is not a factual account of something that really happened, it's true. Truth goes far beyond fact. And the way that story conveys things to people and and bears all of our burdens, um, engage in good story. A great book that you can read, a lot of people haven't read this one. Um, I don't know if you have a copy of it. It's called The Bible. You can read the Bible for some spiritual direction to help you with discernment and look at people that were practicing these intense prayers, 40 days in the wilderness and in the desert or Elijah in the caves and like this really intense stuff. But I do have to give the word of caution, which is that God does not live in the books. He is not bound by paper and ink. He is very dynamically alive and actively involved in speaking to us and leading us and guiding us. Um, So I did want to bring back one more video from the Romanian priest, Father Roman Braga, because when he said this, it just blew me away. And it speaks to the idea of 
um, silence and solitude as well and, and all that stuff. So I'll just, I'll just let him talk. But. God is not in the books. And I learned this lesson in prison. And the communists, God bless the communists. Because they put the priest in prison. The priest need a little imprisonment. Because it's a wonderful experience there. Uh, father said that I was in a solitary confinement for almost three years. So I was just by myself in a small cell with, surrounded by four walls at the cell. I didn't have anything to, to look. Eleven years I didn't see a pencil, a piece of paper, because uh, communist imprisonments are not like American prison with uh, television and the library and, uh, and champagne on New Year's Day. But, <laughs> no, it's a communist prison. Uh, they want, especially the intellectual class, to be destroyed, to become beasts like animals. And they don't give them anything to read. And, but that is the mystery. Instead of becoming like animals, we became ourselves. When you are free, you are the slave of the books. So many books. I have to read all of them. You, you don't have time to be yourself because you are made out of quotations. <laughs> yeah. Where there, there is no book, there is no, nothing, nothing else. You have to go somewhere. You don't have any perspective to look at. The windows were very high, we couldn't even touch them, and it was very small. So, you have to go somewhere. And you go inside. I just really love him a lot. Instead of becoming like beasts, we became ourselves. Get real. God is so far beyond any structure, any prayer form, any book, any literature, any interpretation. And, and lest we become ignorant of that and, and reduce him to something we can hold in our hands or in our minds, or even, you know, as trite as it is to always say, you know, God lives in my heart, like there's a reality to that, and I am not discounting that. But that's wrong if we're only viewing our heart as something as big as, as our, our fist. But if we view it as true humanity bearing the image of God bigger than a universe, not only does that make God who he is supposed to be, the greatest being beyond which nothing can be imagined, that also makes us what we were always intended to be. So while we spent the whole weekend building up with, try this, do that, do this, I'm now saying, okay, don't. Do, but don't. Pray as you can not as you think you must. Pray as you're called. Live as you are called, not as you think you should be. If you're not called to contemplative spirituality, then don't do it. 
if you don't feel like you should have been a monk in a different life, don't worry about it. <laughs> Why? That makes sense. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, I don't mean to completely deconstruct everything that we did, but I, I, don't, want, I don't want these good things to become the main thing. And I can say from my experience that I've totally done that. You know, I've, I've sat down, I had a day off, and I write out this schedule of, okay, I'm going to do centering prayer in the morning, and then I'm going to read some scriptures, then I'm going to do some Lectio Divina. Maybe I'll go back to the centering prayer, then I'll play the, pray the Jesus prayer for this long, and then I'm going to go walk in a labyrinth somewhere, and then I'm going to do all this. And it's overload, and it's ridiculous, and that's really defeating the purpose, which was just to be with my Father. And let him dictate what it is that I'm going to do. And let him call me to certain forms or paths. And always remember where we came from. We are not... Christianity didn't start 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. There's a whole lot of people that happened in between where we are now and Jesus, incarnate Jesus. A whole lot of people that lived for, fought for, and died for the faith that we can profess. Tap into that. Commune with that. Drink that in. Participate in that. And don't think that, you know, the latest Christian bestseller or good book that came out in the past 25 years is the first person to think of it or said it the best way possible. There's like 25 million books on the Holy Spirit that have come out in the past two years. And you can go read On the Holy Spirit from like the year 397 that says far more profound things, far more incredible things about the majesty of the Holy Spirit than just, he's your best bud. I'm not saying he's not, but I don't know what I'm saying. Just forget it. So, yeah. How to handle a big catch. Be a part of the body of Christ. That's how. I guess if I was going to say in summation, be a part of the body of Christ. And that's how you handle a big catch. Any questions? I love it. Yeah, and I think about Father Roman talking about being in solitary confinement in a Soviet, you know, communist prison. And, um, you know, what if there's no promise that you ever get out? And him saying, you have to go somewhere. So you go interior. You go into the expansive, God-sized universe that is within. And you just spend time there. And, you know, I don't totally understand that. I don't totally get that. I'm working on it. 
I think we all are and always will be. Um, I don't know, that, that guy <laughs> is incredible to me. But that's what gives hope, you're right. Anybody else have any questions? Or comments or thoughts? Or chastisements? Skating accusations. S oh, I thought you said skating. Like somebody wants to accuse me of skating. <laughs>